0: This episode is brought to you by Zencaster, the amazing platform I've been using to record the audio and video versions of this show since March 2020. It is the number one tool I recommend to podcasters. So if you're thinking of starting your own show or optimizing one you already have, visit Zencaster.com. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com. It's free to try and you can enter the code Wellevator to receive 30% off your first three months of the pro plan. Wellevator is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. Today's guest wrote something really lovely when we first connected and she uh, showed interest in coming on the podcast and this was about embracing your seasons of brokenness to find new opportunities, adapting to a change in your path and being resilient no matter what life throws you. And I feel like that is something all of us can learn from, whether we've had those experiences where we felt broken. I feel like most people, if not every person, has gone through their own relative version of brokenness. But of course, that is extremely relative to uh, what the, the stages that we're going through in in life and the circumstances. And I was also really grateful for the openness that Marissa shared uh, in her journey, which she said began when she was hit by a pedestrian in a truck, or you were a pedestrian and the truck hit you at 45 miles per hour, which I mean, that is, I can't even imagine, truly. Uh, And Marissa said that she had broken ribs, internal bleeding, a fractured pelvis, a multi-lacerated liver, and a head injury. And this physical and emotional trauma also led to a lupus diagnosis. And she spent a year in recovery, healing and learning to walk again, feeling like her life as she knew it was over. And this was just at 23 years old. And you had to decide if you were going to embrace this new path or be consumed by your grief. I'm getting chills reading this, really. I mean, it's the first time I've shared this out loud uh, because I was just reading it to myself. And it's really um, intense, for lack of a better word, to read this story, Marissa. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for coming on to talk about this. And I just am really looking forward to seeing how this led to your nonprofit You also had an amazing career as a health journalist, and now you've released a memoir called Chronically Fabulous, which I love that name. And I just think this is so important because even if someone has not gone through this type of trauma, which hopefully is a rare thing, I hope most people do not have to face something like this, but as I mentioned, I think we collectively as human beings go through our own versions of brokenness and need that resiliency to overcome the grief that follows these tough times. And I'm just curious, Marissa, first of all, how are you feeling today? And how has it been, given these circumstances, no matter how long ago this was, during a time like COVID where a lot of grief is in our faces on a day-to-day basis, whether we're feeling it as individuals or seeing it within the world. So first I wanna thank you for having me here and letting
1: me share my story. When, when I was hit by the truck, it was actually 20 years ago, I just had the 20th year anniversary of that and You know, I was diagnosed with lupus while I was in my recovery, which is not uncommon for an autoimmune disease. There are a lot of times, you know, people can look back and see a very clear trigger of what brought out the symptoms of their autoimmune disease. For me, it was the physical trauma, but it just brought out symptoms that had really been there since I was a child. They just all hadn't shown themselves at once. Which I think if maybe they had, perhaps I would have been able to have a quicker diagnosis. But for other people with autoimmune disease, you know, sometimes their trigger is something like a pregnancy or maybe they get really sick. It can even be an emotional like stressor. Maybe someone in their family passed away, just something that really aggravates your immune system, right? So, once I get diagnosed with lupus, I sort of went on this journey in my twenties of trying to figure out what life was like with a chronic illness, and even understanding what lupus was. Uh, I was in—I was finishing up nursing school at the time, and I think we we had gone over lupus maybe for ten minutes at that point in my you know in my schooling. And so I really didn't know what I was prepared for, but I will say, and I hear this a lot from my community, uh, people that have autoimmune disease and chronic illness, learning how to live with this over the last 20 years, I feel like so many of us were so prepared for a COVID-like situation. And what I mean by that is being isolated, having to be on the constant lookout for who's sick, who should you not be around, protecting yourself, advocating for yourself when you know something is wrong and you need immediate health care, working from home. Like this has been my life for almost 20 years. You know, my life can be very isolating. There's seasons in my life where I don't leave the house for months. So Especially here in New York, I would say in that first six months of COVID, you know, especially where I live, there was like hardly even a car out on the street. But for me, it was like a regular day. It was odd. I think the biggest change for me was my anxiety level really went up because the thought of getting COVID while already being immunosuppressed terrified me. So hopefully that, that answers that a little bit for you.
0: It does. And it also has me wondering how you felt emotionally given that from what I've seen, there seems to be a trend of people maybe not understanding what it's like to have a chronic illness and being immune compromised during something like COVID. So while it may be similar to how you've been living your life, how have you felt about other people's reactions? For example, I I hear a lot of Frustration with people who are proceeding through COVID, however, they choose to, with only concern for themselves and not realizing how their choices might impact others, especially those that are more vulnerable to something like COVID. How has that felt for you? Absolutely.
1: So, I think for so many years, you know, I'm pretty outspoken and very aggressive when it comes to advocating for myself probably, you know, growing up in a very loud Italian household uh, where you speak your mind freely, uh, helped me with that. So even though people would always kind of look at me, you know, like weird or just kind of give me the eye, like I was the person before COVID where I would carry like Lysol wipes in my purse. And when I'd sit down at a coffee shop, I'd wipe everything down or I'd try to kind of sit further away from people. And I was the one that was constantly asking people, have you been sick? Or, you know, do you feel okay today? Have you had a cold? You know, just things like that because it's very hard for someone that's healthy to understand, you know, having a, an autoimmune disease, being on immunosuppressants, their cold, their simple cold that they're over in five to seven days could put me and has put me in the hospital. So, To them, it's, you know, it might be, well, this person's like hypervigilant when it comes to asking questions about their health or their hypochondriac, you know, I've heard it all. But when someone isn't forthcoming and you wind up being down for a month or you wind up in the hospital, I try not to allow that to happen to me anymore because that just takes away a whole nother month or two of my life. Where now I think people are realizing whether they're healthy or not, you know, do you are you sick? Have you had COVID, you know, like do you have any symptoms? And I think it's really tricky now cuz obviously we meet people that could test positive and don't even realize they're sick cuz maybe they just don't have any symptoms and that that to me is very scary. So I definitely still kind of live in this isolation of sorts. But I think people are a little bit more understanding or at least and not everyone I I mean, it's, you know, I hate to say it, but I know people that tested positive for COVID and still went into work because they didn't want to miss a day of work. And I I get that, you know, if you're having financial issues and you're afraid to miss work, but these are people's lives that we are, you know, playing with. And I have a lot of great friends and just people in the community or people that have found our community. And I think, you know, even people that have reached out to me that have read my book and they realize like, You have to be so careful and it comes down to not being selfish and being communicative and saying, you know what? I really don't feel well and I don't feel safe being around you or I was not feeling well last week. Maybe we should just hold off and we'll meet again another time. It's not worth the risk. Like I don't care if you have a cold. I don't care if you have COVID. Just please let me know if you're not feeling well. Like we'll zoom. It's just a matter of me being able, because every day is a struggle. I still deal with lupus symptoms every single day, you know? So it's my normal struggle or it's adding something that could potentially put me in the hospital.
0: That leads me to wanting to learn more about lupus because I actually don't know that much about it. I, When I think about lupus, <laughs> my frame of reference is Selena Gomez and like the limited amount of information I've I've had. I just know that she has it, but I don't fully understand what it is. And I imagine I'm not alone. It's also kind of interesting to think like, wow, to have something that maybe people don't understand is that why they're, are they acting out of ignorance in other words? Like, do they not realize how serious and how much it affects you? So perhaps we should begin with what is lupus? How is it connected to this accident that you had if if it is? And how is that manifested for you? Absolutely. Yeah, I'll take it a step back because...
1: There is still so much, um, I think just confusion and, you know, misinformation when it comes to lupus. Although I will say, since I was diagnosed, like the awareness, thanks to technology and communities popping up and people speaking out, like there's a lot more education out there. But in a lot of surveys, if you ask, you know, a hundred people, you typically have between from what, you know, numbers I've seen. 30 and 50% that still really don't understand what lupus is. So the easiest way for me to describe it is lupus is a chronic autoimmune inflammatory disease. It's almost like my body is rejecting itself. So our body basically turns against itself and for every lupus patient this could look different. The most common organs that lupus attacks are the kidneys like Selena Gomez, the heart, the lungs, the brain, the skin and the blood. when you think of skin, you could think of someone like Seal, the musician. He has lupus. Um, when you think of Nick Cannon, I believe Nick Cannon has kidney involvement, which is you know common with lupus. I have no kidney involvement whatsoever. I never have had any, but I have more like daily manifestations which are common, like fever, fatigue, rashes, sores, things like that, hair loss. Um, But mine attacks my blood. So when I go into a flare-up, which you hear that term a lot with autoimmune disease, these times and these seasons of life of flares and then remissions, it attacks my blood in the sense of I've had multiple strokes, I've had vasculitis, I've had a blood clot, I have a brain aneurysm right now, which is from something they call lupus vasculitis. So... Well, I've never had a kidney issue and needed dialysis or a transplant. You know, I've obviously had other serious medical conditions due to the lupus. So, oftentimes you'll hear this phrase of there's no two lupus patients alike, and I can tell you with the thousands and thousands of lupus patients I've met, I've never really met someone exactly like me. So, it it sort of looks different for all of us, but I just think in the world of chronic illness, we all deal with the same challenges and frustrations that come you know, with every day dealing with something like this. I did just want to add in there, there's estimates that there's about 5 million lupus patients worldwide. That estimate's been around since I was diagnosed. I would imagine in the ne- last two decades, it's higher. There's also no cure for lupus and it can be fatal.
0: Wow. Does that lead you to feeling like loneliness, isolation emotionally? Because you described how you're used to being isolated on more of like a practical day-to-day physical level. But I'm curious on the emotional side, given that no lupus patient has the same exact symptoms, does it feel frustrating? And um, do you often feel like misunderstood or again, lonely because you're not sure that other people can relate or... Uh, even have a comprehension of what you go through.
1: I think in the first few years after I was diagnosed, I was extremely lonely and I think there was more of a shame element, which I hear a lot of people talk about in the chronic illness community where, especially if you go back 20 years, there's no blogs, there's no social media like this, you know, there's no one talking about um, different illnesses, right? Right. So I have this illness called systemic lupus aromatosis that, you know, I can barely pronounce at the time. No one's heard of in my family. I'm living in the city of Fort Lauderdale with over a million people, and I have only met one other person with it. And, you know, sometimes I would have the physical manifestations that you could see. And, you know, you're in your 20s, and you want to date and you want to be out with your friends and people can see that there's something on you and are asking, you know, what's wrong with you? Or what is that? Are you contagious? You know, am I going to get it if I, if I drink off of you? And I didn't even have the answer. So I was just sort of petrified to even be around anyone. And I just basically isolated myself, which was difficult because I am a very social person that's sort of what led me to, to starting lupus check. It was, it was the feeling of just being alone. And because you're in the hospital so often, or you're getting IV treatments and then you're home, you know, and you're on immunosuppressants. So you, you have to be somewhat isolated from people. Back then, you know, we had like pen pals where you would write to people in in your snail mail. And then finally blogs started coming to light. And I was like, well, maybe this is more of a way to connect, but I will say like today, just with our community and how many people I've met and friends that I've made over the years, I feel very well understood in our community. It's only talking to someone that is very like a healthy peer that really has no knowledge of chronic illness, where it's, I can explain to them, but I see the disconnect when I'm talking to them where And I get it. They just don't understand how every single day there is something going on and there's no way to fix it.
0: Ooh, that leads me to something else that you said earlier, this idea of trying to fix something. It actually reminds me of one of the most poignant parts of this book. I think it's it's called It's Okay to Not Be Okay by Megan Devine. And it's all about grief. And in that book, she has a section that talks about how we live in this culture of wanting to fix things, you know, and it it ties back into something you said before about people wanting to go to work so badly, despite when they're not feeling well. And as you were sharing that, I was thinking, gosh, like how frustrating (laughs) or interesting perhaps that we live in this time where it feels like we're so consumed by productivity and so consumed by problem solving that we don't allow ourselves to heal or rest or take a step back. And that not only could be detrimental for us, but for others and this ripple effect that it creates and blame it on the individual because we are in this time of so much hustle culture. And I think that's also evolved a lot when you're talking about how things have changed over the past... 10 or 20 years and the evolution of social media and blogging, certainly that's opened up a lot of doors for community, but it's also revealed so much of this addiction to productivity and solving things and go, go, go. When that's also leading us to have mental health issues and physical health issues. So I'm curious how, if you reflect on this, but also how you manage that within yourself, because I'm sure you have to be very protective over yourself and you probably can't work yourself to the bone without compromising how you're feeling.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there were years when I was first diagnosed where I couldn't work at all. I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't get myself in the shower. I was in a wheelchair. I had a nurse at our house three times a week to help me with these things. So, you know, coming from like a super type A, about to graduate nursing school to can't do anything for myself, uh, it was beyond frustrating and even today, here we are like two decades later. We have a very large social media community on Lupus Chick and I post constantly. But my trick is, at least for me, is I don't stay on social media. I post and I get off. I will answer questions. I'll go back on if I need to answer comments or questions. And I, you know, I close the app because I'm a very productive person or at least I try to use the hours that I have every day where I feel halfway decent to do as much as I can. And then it's rest time for me and it's building back into my body as much as possible so that I can go on to the next day and not really suffer. Um, I've learned a lot over the last two decades of what rest means for me and, you know, food and functional medicine and, and things like that and all the different things that I can do to, get myself to the healthiest version of possible of Marissa. But there is, you know, and I still see it, like even though I know social media is not real, when I am on there, even just for a few minutes, there is such a bombardment of, look what all these other people are doing and at the intensity and the level they're doing it at. And I think it's just human nature for even for a split second, to want to compare yourself to what you're seeing in that moment. But like, I have to constantly tell myself, like, this is not real. And I have no idea what this person deals with. I have no idea if they're really healthy. You know, they may not have a chronic illness. And we are completely separate beings. I can't compare myself to that. And I don't want to push myself to that because I know where that leads me. When I first got into journalism, which is a highly stressful career and stress is the worst, like literally one of the worst triggers for lupus. I went into some of the most sick, sickest years of my life. And it was because of the enormous level of stress that I was putting on myself. Now, I also loved my job. So, you know, I really had to figure out this line of what can I do that I love Without killing myself because I was essentially like making myself worse. And that's sort of where I learned, you know, what works for me as far as being, I became a freelancer and then I got in more into books. So I still was able to do my love for writing, but at a level where I wasn't putting myself in the hospital constantly and on chemo and, and just a mess. And I talk about this a lot in the memoir is no matter what you're dealing with like whether it's a chronic illness whether you're healing from trauma regardless of what it is like i truly believe that we all have different purposes in our life and we all have different gifts you know your gifts are very different than mine and it's finding it's finding those gifts and and whether we're aware of them or not i always tell people ask people around you what what they see shine from you, what you're really good at, that you may not even think is a skill or a gift. And line that up with what excites you and what you're passionate about. And that's what you use your energy towards and stop looking at what everyone else is doing because that's their road and you're on a completely different road. And you got to make the most out of what's ahead of you because that's what you're here for. It took me years to be okay with all of that. And to the point where whatever anyone else is doing, especially online, like I'm excited for them, do it, go for it. Like I wish you all the success. I'm doing my own thing here and I'm doing it at my own pace. Some days that's a sloth and some days I'm a squirrel I'm moving and I'm shaking and I'm, you know, I'm doing all the things I got to do. And, and some days I'm asleep and for me, that's okay. And, and I've become okay with that, but it's,
0: I don't think it's something that happens quickly. Before March 2020, every guest on this show recorded with me in person because I wanted to ensure the highest quality sound possible. But this took extra time and effort to produce, plus it limited me to people who were visiting or living in Los Angeles. When I switched to Zencaster, I realized how much easier remote recording was for me and my guests. Now everyone can easily record studio quality sound from the comfort of their own homes. If you want to try it out, visit zencaster.com and enter the code WELLEVATOR to receive 30% off your first 3 months of the pro plan, which is what I use. I can't wait to hear your show, so send it over to me as soon as it's live. Another thing that comes up as you're sharing this is, yes, so many people are are doing their own thing in their own way, and I I think it's a wonderful time that we're in where there's so much self-expression. We're also in this time, especially right now at the end of January 2022, where I feel like a lot of things online are being re-examined and especially COVID revealing the issues of misinformation and the difference between somebody's opinion and feelings and choices versus like the issues of spreading information especially someone who might be influential. In this uh, past week, there's been a lot of focus on Joe Rogan and this concern that he's spreading misinformation and what that means in terms of freedom of speech. And I'm curious, given your journalistic background and your personal experiences and knowledge with health, how you feel when you see voices online who have the full freedom to say whatever they want, How do you feel when somebody who's really influential, and there's countless examples aside from Joe Rogan, Gwyneth Paltrow, for example, often gets targeted for her viewpoints and posts online, and you know it kind of feels like there's people taking sides, like is she right or is she wrong, and you know it brings up a lot, and right now uh, she has the ability to post that, and some people might think that she's doing harm, just like they feel like Joe Rogan's doing harm, and. I'm curious for you, given what you've gone through, but also you have a journalistic background, which tends to be based in integrity and a code of ethics and research and a lot of things that may not be true about blogging and social media and podcasting, where people can basically say whatever they want without backing it up or finding the great, the right source that a journalist would have to dig through before they post something. So... I'm just kind of curious how you feel when you see issues like this coming up and especially in the health world. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So <laughs> this will be where my outspoken side definitely showcases itself. And I'm sure some people are not going to be happy with my answer here, but one thing I've learned online, whether you're a journalist or you just have you know a really popular blog or podcast or what it is, like is, you're not going to please everyone. There's always going to be someone that disagrees with you. I loved my career as a journalist, you know, and I still do freelance. But I will tell you, even years ago, way before COVID, you know, we have a journalist creed. I always thought of it as like a the medical oath, you know, that doctors take. And it is, you know, to share the facts. It is to have a neutral viewpoint when you're sharing information and not put your own opinion, you know, in there. When I just right about the time I started to consider going freelance, the company I was working for I would turn in an article and when I would see it come out, it was so different than what I turned in. And there was an absolute slant to it. And that's when I started to sort of take a step back because I knew that one, it wasn't the slant or the opinion that I had. I knew I didn't write it that way. And I knew that there was absolute bias. And now my name was attached to it. And I was not okay with that. So, as a journalist, even looking at some of our major media outlets, I take what's in those articles with a grain of salt, because I know it's the people behind there, and the editor is where that is coming from. So, for me, that's hard because it's a career that I love, and it's an industry that I, you know, I have respect for, and it was, you know, my was my job. But I don't even believe some of the things that are put out there now. Because we have like such a large social community, I'm very careful with what I do put out. And a lot of my community knows that I have a very strong faith. I take pharmaceutical medications, but I've also tried a wide variety of alternative and complementary medications and therapies, even medical marijuana, just different things. Because I want to try almost anything I can get my hands on that could possibly give me a better quality of life. I've tried the immunosuppressants. I've tried the chemos. I know what they've done for me. I know how they've helped. I know how they've hurt me. You know, I've tried the IV medications and the juices and and a million supplements. And I finally, after two decades, I know what works and what doesn't. I'm open about all of it. There's people that agree with me. There's people that don't. I have a huge team of doctors right now. I'll give you an example. These are some of the top specialists here in New York. They're amazing. Like I have amazing doctors. On one hand, it's um, obviously people are vaccinated. My doctors, even though they're vaccinated, their stance is you've had blood clots in the past and you have severe anaphylaxis. We don't want you getting vaccinated. We don't feel safe with giving you this vaccination right now. I'm sure that's not an easy thing for them to tell me, but they're being honest with me. They also feel because, and this is where I think I might, might lose some people, but I just want to be honest with you. These are MDs that are vaccinated that are telling me, you know, I have three in particular that I'm thinking of right now. Mercy, you take steroids and you take hydroxychloroquine every single day for lupus. Those are the two main drugs for lupus before you start on heavier immunosuppressants. We don't care what the news says. We know that in the literature, it does, it does give you some protection. It's not going to not get, you know, you're not going to not get COVID, but it's already going to be in your system if you do get COVID. Okay. Well, these are, I take these every day for, for lupus. So, you know, whether or not like if it helps or not, they're in my body. It's so hard to, I think, just, I feel like it's just such a personal thing. You know, if you don't want to listen to Gwen, Pal- you know, Gwyneth Paltrow and you completely disagree, that's okay. Like you're entitled to completely disagree with her. And if you want to write about it online, there's a million forums that you can go on and write about it online. Same thing with Joe Rogan, if you don't want to listen to him. But I think if you want to be free to do what you want to do with your body and your health, then everyone else should have that freedom as well. That's where I stand with that. I think, you know, we can find information, obviously, information's at our fingertips. And and it's really, you have to just Do your own research and make your own decisions and dig and dig. Like I tell people, like if you find one, one headline, I don't care if you find it on CNN or if you find it on Fox News, go find 10 other places about that, that particular subject and make your own decision about it. Don't listen to that one journalist. I was a journalist and I'm telling you, don't listen to that one journalist. Go and do your own research. So whatever, you know, if Joe Rogan's talking about something that you disagree with or you agree with, go dig and dig and and come up with your own conclusion because at the end of the day, I'll take everything that my doctors tell me and I'll, and I'll take everything my functional medicine doctors tell me and my nutritionists and whatnot. I'm going to sit there with all of this information and I'm going to come up with my own decision of what I'm going to do for myself. Hopefully in some way that that answers you. But, you know, I just want people to know like, as a journalist, it's really hard because I've seen it happen to me with the best of intentions to try to give people the best information possible. When sometimes what we turn in is not
0: what comes out to the public. It's very frustrating. I bet. And I think it points to how many gray areas there are. And I know it's frustrating for me to feel like there just isn't a right answer because you're absolutely right. I mean, for every source you find about most things, (laughs) there's another source that says the exact opposite. And I have been trying to embrace the gray zone and also turn into my own inner compass, which you're sharing as well and your advice And that has been a big reframe because I think many people are wanting to get things right. Uh, We hear the terms perfectionist and people pleaser, and it's so much about going with the crowd. But then we also hear, don't be a sheeple and don't do something just because someone else says it. I think COVID has actually revealed so much about all of this in such fascinating ways that often lead me back to feeling like, I don't know where up is and where down is, you know, like what's what's right or what's wrong? And is there really any such thing as right or wrong? And I think in the health world, many of us are driven by this fear that if we make the wrong decision, it's going to cost us our health or our lives even. There's so much fear around that. I feel that a lot. And I'm curious, like given everything that you've gone through in the past 20 years, like Going back to this theme of resiliency, the emotional resiliency side of this, of navigating all of this information and all these different doctors, and maybe the conflicts that each one doctor has had from the other. I mean, how do you personally make decisions and find your own inner compass?
1: You know, when I was first diagnosed, I think also being young, you know, and maybe really naive. I think, in just, and now I just look at this in general and just as life, you, you hope that people have your best interest at heart, but that's not always the case. I definitely took all of my doctor's words for everything when I was first diagnosed. And it was, you know, give me all the medications, basically, because I didn't know any better. And it's like, hopefully this will heal me in a sense. I knew that obviously lupus has no cure, but I think at one point I was on like 12 medications and some of them really harmed me some of them put me in the hospital. And, you know, that's very scary. I was diagnosed with PTSD after I got hit by the truck. But then there's also the medical PTSD, which I think is a lot more common that we hear about now. And just these things that happen to you, right? Having a blood clot, having a pulmonary embolism, having a brain aneurysm, like there's, you know, things that definitely trigger me. And so being in the hospital and, you know, sometimes like just human error things you know things go wrong and there's some trauma associated with these things i got to the point where i wanted to see what else was out there okay i finally found the medications that were working for me but i really didn't have a great quality of life so i wanted to keep digging and seeing what else i can do and being stuck in bed that there was a season of my life where i just started watching a lot of documentaries like fat sick and nearly dead and forks over knives and And you know, I was, I love food. I grew up with the Italian grandmother and it was, everything was about food from six o'clock in the morning until the minute you went to sleep basically. And working with nutritionists. And then I started working with functional medicine doctors and finding all all these other things that were out there. And really kind of coming up with like, I call it like my war plan of like, what worked for me and what didn't. And that's why I always tell people like, I journaled everything so that I knew whether I was drinking something or trying a new supplement or something for the first time, what did it do to me? And what was the pattern over months? So I could see what worked for me and what didn't. And once I started to find things that were working for me and I was overcoming, you know, really bad flares, I think recognizing that I was a lot stronger than I originally thought and that there were other options there, I just had to be brave enough and courageous enough to try them? Like if I was willing to try chemo, why am I not willing to try maybe something else that isn't, you know, maybe as mainstream that we hear about as as chemo, right? But I think resilience also comes from, think about the people that you surround yourself with. It's really important to have a strong support system, whether it's, you know, friends, whether it's family, whether it's an online family, not everyone has a really supportive spouse or friends or parents or whatnot, especially when they're chronically ill and maybe you don't look like you're sick, right? It's very hard for some people to get to grasp that. So I think it's really important to find the right support system. And your support system might be something completely different than than you envisioned. But that helps build this level of resiliency because you have people that are in your corner and you feel like you can make it through and that There is a light at the end of the tunnel and you're not in this alone, you know? I hope that answers
0: some of that. It does. And it brings me back to another thing you said earlier when you were talking about your body rejecting you. And I was reflecting on how so many people struggle with self-rejection or external rejection. And that's a huge fear, that's a challenge. I mean, so many people are trying to avoid rejection, myself included. I'm incredibly sensitive to rejection, even rejection that hasn't even happened. Sometimes I'm just imagining it's going to happen or it did happen. You know, rejection is is a tough thing, but I'm not sure that many people experience the type of physical rejection that you do on a regular basis. And I'm kind of curious what you've learned from that. And do you feel like that built up your emotional and mental abilities to not feel rejected? Do you still have to balance the physical and emotional rejection? And what else have you learned about rejection in general through just what you're going through on a daily basis?
1: Uh, I feel like, yeah, rejection's been a pretty constant theme, especially like early on in my life. It's, It's interesting, you know, the way you just put that because when you think about lupus as a whole, it is basically your body rejecting itself. It doesn't see its tissues and organs as itself, so it wants it gone. That's why sometimes we hear about people that have plastic surgeries, um, particularly breast implants. You hear a lot in the chronic illness community about breast implants because you're putting a foreign object in your body and your body encapsulates it because it knows it's not supposed to be there. And sometimes it will attack it to the point where now you get a dysfunctional immune system. It triggered something, right? Because that could be the trigger for a lot of people with um, chronic illness is because of something that was put into the body. So lupus essentially is your body rejecting itself. And I think for many, many years, especially in the beginning, and I talk about this sort of evolution in my memoir, I was so angry when I was first diagnosed because one, I had suffered with these symptoms since I was a child, and it was missed over and over again. So I went through, you know, in the 80s, and my mom, who was a single mom, we didn't have health insurance, so for her to even save and take me to these doctor's appointments was a, a struggle to just be told from, you know, doctor after doctor and just um, sort of talked over and not belittled, but just like quieted down of like, you know, she's just been a sickly child. She's just fragile. She needs to rest. Like, no, I had very clear signs of of lupus. I had sun sensitivity. I had nonstop fevers. I had rashes. I had fatigue. I had nose and mouth and body sores. Like I absolutely should have been tested, but you never even heard about this in the 80s. So I think by the time I finally got diagnosed and then I lost everything within a matter of seconds, you know, my nursing career, my independence, um, any money I had saved went to medical bills. Like I felt like I kind of had nothing. There was definitely an anger there and I was definitely angry at my body. I felt like it had completely failed me. Angry at God, you know, just mad. But let me tell you, you spend almost a year in recovery in a hospital and. I had to be on my back for most of that because of the injuries to my liver. So you couldn't really sit up because you put a lot of pressure on your liver when you sit. And they didn't want it to open up again and bleed. So I'm on my back, you know, on a morphine drip, alone in a trauma intensive care unit by myself. And you have a lot of time to think and you have a lot of time to reflect and you go through all kinds of emotions. And for me, it was really a faith thing of... I asked God to help me see this situation differently because I didn't want to stay in an angry state. Like that's horrible for your body too and that's horrible for your physical health. And I can tell you over time now, and I, I share it like this when people ask me this today, I am so grateful because ever since I was a child, my body, she has continually fought for me over and over and over again. Like she fights for me every day her entire job is to try to keep me alive. And all I think about now is how can I help her? And then it comes back to, am I resting enough for you? Am I feeding you the best thing possible that I can give you? Am I willing to be brave and try every single thing I can to help you? Because like all you're doing is, is fighting for me and trying to keep it at my pace of, the, of how quickly I like to go in life and all the things I want to accomplish. And now I just want to heal her. I just want to help her as much as possible. Like, I'm not angry anymore. But it took decades.
0: Wow. I love the way that you phrase that. And it, you know, it's kind of like that cliche thing people say about a silver lining and the big lessons that you learn through these tough times. And it's really moving to hear that because I think so many of us focus on our body's flaws even if it's as simple as being dissatisfied with our weight, our age, our appearance, these things that are ultimately fairly superficial. (laughs) Because one thing that I could be better at practicing, and I I really feel like is, is a key takeaway here, is being grateful for my body, however it is On that day and not being frustrated when I'm tired, because maybe I'm tired as a sign that I need to step back and rest, not tired as a weakness, you know, like going back to the hustle culture and productivity obsession that we have as a society and your point too about how important it is to rest. And I'm becoming a bigger and bigger advocate for it. And I've really noticed this myself in and probably the past year or so, that I used to want to wake up and open up my to-do list and just get everything done and, you know, sleep as little as I possibly could, get away with and do everything I possibly could to just have tons of energy throughout the day and push myself through that. And I've reflected on how many times in my life my body was trying to say, no, you need to rest instead. And the guilt and the shame that I would feel when my body would give me that signal. And also my history having disordered eating and having all of these bad feelings about the way my body looked. And you know, just like anybody else, as we get older and the ways our body changes and the shame that many of us carry over these natural changes that are happening within our bodies, I think your point about listening to our bodies, but also being grateful for it and your line about all you think about now is how to help your body. That just like melts my heart. And I want to repeat that to myself because it could be a complete paradigm shift. How did that shift things with you? Like, I mean, it sounds like it helps you overcome a lot of anger. I imagine that you're not anger free. You must still go through those days. So what do you do on the days where your grief and your anger do show up despite everything that you're trying? How do you move through that? I mean, I definitely
1: have days that I'm frustrated. I had that day on Thursday. (laughs) It had been a little while. You know, with lupus is like, there's always these, I just feel like life's never quiet. Um, But uh, this past Thursday, you know, I've had a lot of pain. Lupus, you know, pain is very common, but it's a very different kind of pain. And, you know, I was told on Thursday randomly, not expecting it, that I have this 18 millimeter tumor on my rib that they found. So now I have to go in like a week and have all these scans. I think I, when I drove home, I was in more of like a fog of like, Oh, you know, just for that moment of like, can I just get like a break for like a month? You know, (laughs) it could be like super frustrating. And I really just sort of sat back that night. I had a million things to do, you know, that were already on my to do list like you were sharing and they just became very unimportant in that moment. Like, like really, what am I killing myself for? Am I going to be mad at myself? Cause I didn't do my three loads of laundry that day. And I didn't get to like organize my makeup drawer and, you know, go run my errands. Like in the grand scheme of things, it's life. Life is my biggest goals to stay alive. Right. That's, that's where I'm at like every day, you know, and I talked to some of my closest friends that always like, sort of let me sort of vent it out. And I need to sort of make Yeah, I'm very analytical, so I need to kind of go over all the roads in my mind, and they let me express that. They're great listeners. Obviously, my faith comes into play a lot, and I just came to the conclusion of, you know, I got run over by a truck. I have a brain aneurysm. I've lived through blood clots. Like, I mean, things that absolutely should have killed me, and I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get through this as well, you know? But For me, I already knew that I was so stressed that day and my body was letting me know that it was like very anxious. So for me, that was a night that my whole schedule changed and it was laying in my bed and reading a little bit and watching some Netflix and having like my favorite treat and just doing things that, you know, I love to paint and painting for a little while. And that was not on my schedule at all, but it was what my body needed at the time. So when i say like i always think about like how can i help her, that is a mind, that is a question that goes into my mind every single day. Like literally every time i'm eating something, every time i'm making food, every time i'm i'm drinking whatever i'm i'm taking as far as a supplement and whatever i'm watching or you know even if someone new comes into your life and the energy that they bring or the things that they're talking about like if these aren't things that are like life-giving to me at this point, I don't want to say I'm taking them out 100% because you you just sometimes can't do that in life. But I am very cautious and I have very strong boundaries of what now comes into, into and around my body and my physical space
0: and my mental health. And uh, that's just something so many people aspire to have. And I mean, just the context of when you said... So many things have happened to you that very likely could have killed you is just, I don't think I've ever met anyone who has gone through what you have. And it just puts me in this state of awe. And I guess that that's it. I just feel in awe of what you've been through in your life and uh, grateful that you've shared it, not just on this show, but you do in so many different forms. And that phrase that you said of life is your biggest goal. Is another one that just kind of, it's doing something to me physically, like in my stomach, I can, I'm like, wow, that is (laughs) is such an amazing thing to hear, especially given that many of us are so goal-driven, you know, especially as women these days. So many women are just like practically obsessed with reaching goals. And I think it's due to the fact that there's been so much suppression and inequality and I think a lot of us feel like in order to feel fulfilled, to prove ourselves, we have to constantly be going after goals, but also in the mental health community. And even during COVID, I've heard phrases around, if the only thing that you accomplish today is to stay alive, you've achieved something. And that sounds like it's basically your mantra in a lot of ways. And I think just gives so much um, perspective And there were two other questions I had before we wrap up. And one is, given the name of your memoir, it's Chronically Fabulous. Is that right? I'm curious, how do you define fabulous? Because each of us have definitions for what it means to be fabulous. For me, I think of a lot of superficial things, to be honest. I think of when I hear the word fabulous, it's often in the context of like looking good as a woman, But I think there's other levels and definitions to this. So what does that mean for you?
1: Yeah, I I think that's definitely, you know, such a personal thing. Because when I think of fabulous, I think of being utterly like in love and confident in who you are at your core. Like for me, I feel my definition of myself of fabulous is I I love people. I'm compassionate. I love to help people. I love to paint. I love art. Like, you know, I want to encourage people. I love like building other women up. I love telling them like what's so amazing about them. Like that is just who I am. It comes out naturally and being confident in that, like getting to know yourself and being okay with all the crappy things about yourself and all the wonderful things about yourself and owning it and running with it and putting that version of yourself out every single day, not what, you know, you think looks good or what is going to look really good on social media, just being you. I feel like that sums up being fabulous because you don't even have to work at it. That's who you are. When you have to work at something is when you're being something that doesn't come naturally to you. I don't really have the energy for that. I just want to embrace who I am right now and who, you know, who I was uh, born with at my core and I'm okay with that and I'm happy. I'm happy with that.
0: Yes. I I love that and I absolutely agree. That's something I'm trying to embrace and work through in my life and it's tough again for me having a background as a people pleaser and perfectionist. I've based so much of my decisions and even my identity on what I thought other people wanted because I was trying to avoid the pain of rejection. And I found that I experience rejection and criticism and whatever other negative social interactions, no matter what I do. (laughs) And it's painful when you put yourself out there in a way that feels authentic to you and somebody doesn't like it. Just like you were saying before, I don't think there's a way around that. And the more that I'm reminding myself of, there'll probably always be someone that doesn't agree with me and doesn't like me, but that doesn't mean that I should stop doing those things and being those things. So I'm I'm adding that into my new definition and perception of fabulous. And I'm very grateful for that. I am very grateful to have Zencaster as a sponsor. They have been so supportive of the show through social media and newsletter shout outs, Plus, they have truly incredible customer service. Their all-in-one podcast production platform keeps getting better and better because they take user feedback seriously. I'm especially grateful for the HD video recording features, which makes it easy to put this show on YouTube and social media. If you want to try it out, visit Zencaster.com. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com. It's free to try and you can enter the code Wellevator to receive 30% off your first three months of their pro plan, which, as I mentioned, is what I use for the show. If you have any questions about podcasting, send me a message and I'd be happy to share more tips and tricks. That's
1: good. Uh, I just want to add to that. You know, I want people to be happy. Yes, it'd be great if everyone liked me. I will tell you, being a journalist, I got over that real fast because there's people are very vocal if you write something that they don't agree with and they don't like and they, um, they can get, you know, obviously, you know, with podcasts and just blogs or whatnot, people online are little keyboard warriors. They can get really, uh, really nasty and very opinionated because they're just seeing a small speck of you in your life and they want to give their opinion about it. So I definitely think things like that got me a thicker skin and also really learning like how to live my life the best with a chronic illness and getting to the point where not everyone's going to understand it. Not everyone's going to understand why I need like sometimes to be in bed for a week because at that point, then my body will heal itself to the point where I can get back to my life. It's okay if you don't understand it. Like that's not your job in my life you don't have to understand what's going on in my life. And then it also comes down to my beliefs as far as my faith. Like I can very clearly see what I believe God gave me as gifts and what my purpose is here. Like, I feel like my purpose is very clear now, you know, as I'm, as I'm getting older over the past two decades, it's become very clear. And that's my, goal that you know is to to fulfill the things that, that I believe I'm supposed to fulfill while I'm here and whoever doesn't like it and whoever doesn't understand it go for it like run with that and you can run with that for the rest of your life but guess what it has no bearing in what I'm going to do and I don't have the energy to worry about that my focus I have to keep my eye on my focus right because That could take up essentially so much of our life and our time that we have here. And I'm all about time. I see time very differently than I think a lot of people that are very healthy and haven't had like these medical uh, crisis kind of, you know, lifestyle. But how much of your time do you
0: want to spend worrying about what other people think? That's a very good question. (laughs) and One that I want to, I feel like I need to write that down to ask myself that every time I fear other people's thought. Cause you're right. I mean, if I were to add up all the times that I've tried to navigate life, I mean I even just look at it my procrastination. When I really examined it, often at the root of my procrastination, it was me trying. Actually, this came up in a another episode with a guest, which is with Kira, who came out a few weeks ago on the show. I she said something along the lines of how this focus on other people all the time and the way that it kind of drains us and and takes us away from what's important and how when we are so focused on trying to control other people's reactions, that was really at the core of it. That's exhausting. It is. And it's probably exhausting on the level that myself and others don't even realize because we're so used to feeling that exhaustion. And when you think of what, why people are so burnt out and stressed, like you are mentioning before, it's like a lot of that's the emotional stress that takes a toll on us physically. And for someone like me, who spends a lot of time trying to like do things right so I can avoid rejection ultimately, is really not moving me forward or putting my focus, to your point, on where I will feel my best, so again, thank you. I'm, I'm just like, I'm so honored that you took the time out, speaking of which, that you spent your time with me today and to share this with the listener. And my final question is something you'd virtually over, already tied into, which is people that don't understand you and how you manage it. But I'm curious, based on your experiences, what can people who don't have a chronic illness learn in terms of, be more compassionate and doing their best to understand even when they might not fully understand. When I read that book I referenced earlier about grief, It's Okay That You're Not Okay, I I was reading that because I wanted to better understand how to support people in grief. And I would love to know how can I be more aware and conscientious around people who have a chronic illness like you do? Do you have tips for a listener who wants to show up better for others? I definitely have some tips and a couple of different areas of
1: tips. You know, before COVID, I used to tell people like that really couldn't understand every day. I would say to them, just imagine back like when you had a really bad cold or the flu and just how awful you felt and, you know, you'd feel okay maybe for a few minutes. So maybe you'd get up and try to make yourself a meal or think that you could maybe get dressed and, you know, go do something. And then you had to put yourself right into bed. That's our life basically every single day. And I think a lot of people that have COVID, you know, and just feel terrible, like the fevers and the body aches. And it's like, you know, you're having trouble breathing, which is also common with, you know, lupus patients, like, this is a constant thing for us. And we're just trying to do like our basic necessities of life plus work and have a relationship and maybe take care, like I take care of my elderly mom full time, like, you know, you're doing all of these things and you're and you're basically feeling like this every single day. And especially for anyone that's gone through COVID or had family members and loved ones gone through COVID and the doctor's appointments and the medication and being in the hospital. That's been my life for the last 20 something years. There's never a break. You know, you get the questions, you're not better yet. It's such a punch in the gut when you, and, and the amount of people that ask questions like this. No, this is the definition of chronic. Like I'd be happy to get you a dictionary for Christmas. You know, like, (laughs) this is our life. And it frustrates us, trust us. Like, you know, I I try to put on a strong face because I, I want to help, you know, people get through it and inspire them. But we don't even like hearing it every single day or feeling like this. So I think just keep those things in mind when you hear that someone, you know, has a chronic or incurable illness. And then I'm all for tangible ways of helping someone. And what I mean by that is we see this a lot, especially with social media. Let me know if there's anything I could do. I hope you're okay. You know, reach out if you need anything. I'm never going to reach out to you just because of who I am and tell you that I need something. I'm going to try to do it myself, like even if it almost kills me, just because I'm really stubborn and I'm very independent. However, my friends who have really made the biggest impact in my life are the ones that reach out to me and say, hey, I'm going to come by on Thursday night. You know, I have a key. I'm going to come by and I'm going to make some meals for you and just put them in your freezer. I'm going to drop off some food. Or I'm going to the supermarket. What can I get you? Can I come and help you this weekend maybe with laundry? Can I watch your children, you know, for the night? So maybe you could just get some rest. Can I take you to a doctor's appointment? Can I go pick up your medicine at the pharmacy? Something as simple as like grabbing someone's medicine so that if they're having a really hard day or they're in a flare, just getting up and getting dressed and getting in the car and going there, that could be the only thing they do that day because of a limited energy. Like it's these tangible things that are so helpful. And then I think on the emotional and like mental side of it is sometimes just having someone there that you can be really honest with and they'll listen. I don't need you to fix anything. Like, this is not getting fixed. You know, no one's going to be able to snap their fingers and my, the lupus is going to be gone. But if I can have a real conversation where it might get like really uncomfortable and dark there for a moment, and you're just willing to sort of sit there with me in it, those are the things to me that stand out. Those are the people in my life that have become, you know, my closest like circle that I consider my family because I do. I have those moments where I'm like, "Oh, this has been really hard. I've had a beautiful life and I've had so many incredible things happen to me, but it's been so hard for so long that you know, in those really dark moments, sometimes I think like there's going to be a time obviously when I'm not alive anymore and this is over, like the pain and the sickness and the medication all day long, like you're reminded two or three times a day that you're sick because you're putting pills in your mouth to survive, right? I'm looking forward to a day one day where like that's not my life anymore, right? But at the same time, like I love the fact that I am alive and I still have the opportunity to do so much. But I want to be able to have those kind of conversations with people and it doesn't freak them out or they don't feel like, you know, like they're helpless. Like I just need to be able to talk. It would be amazing, trust me, if you have someone in your life that has chronic illness and they know that they can come to you and share these feelings because they are really uncomfortable and they're messy and they might freak you out for a moment. Like, but for us to be able to get that out, obviously, like I've had counselors and I've had therapists that I feel very comfortable talking to as well. But it's nice when you have one or two people in your life that you can talk to about those things.
0: That's beautiful and um, an important reminder. I think it's disappointing how many of us have been kind of conditioned to move away from the discomfort. And obviously, that's the big theme of this podcast: is that it's okay to be uncomfortable, and also you're not responsible for somebody else's comfort. And again, that ties back into the lessons I think many of us people pleasers have internalized of like. You have to do whatever you can to keep someone comfortable. And maybe that's what leads into trying to fix things and problem solve. But what if instead you just show up and you hold space, whatever that space may be. So thank you for sharing that. There's so much. I think that would just deepen our relationships in such beautiful ways. And at a time where, as you mentioned, with social media feeling draining or superficial and people feeling disconnected and lonely, what you're sharing, I think, would just bring us all closer or at least closer to an important few in our lives and help us better understand them and become more compassionate, which has such a big ripple effect. And you've had such an amazing ripple effect on me, Marissa. I'm just, just uh, you know, trying not to reuse words, but <laughs> grateful. It just keeps coming back to mind. And I feel like you really shaped my perspective in some profound ways so thank you for being here and for the listener uh, if you have a similar reaction marissa what's the best way for someone to reach out to you to connect with you you mentioned lupus chick what's a starting point even if someone's maybe it's not directly related to lupus but they're just feeling moved and inspired and they want to be connected to you where do they go from here
1: yeah, you can come to we have a couple of different places you can find us. And I just wanted to throw it out there. Like our community is not just people with lupus at this point. There's a lot of overlap disease, a lot of chronic illness, a lot of people that just have had maybe PTSD, different types of trauma. Like we have such a large community now of just people that support one another. So on Instagram uh, lupus chick official that's l-u-p-u-s is probably our most active uh, social media and then facebook is just lupus chick and then my website is lupus and you
0: can email me directly at marissa lupus com. perfect well i'm going to link to all of that so it's all in one place for anyone who wants to learn more to go back and read the transcript and pull out all the nuggets of wisdom that you've shared today marissa So everything is at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. There's a full transcript, there are quotes, there'll be a video eventually, and links to everything so you can get in touch with Marissa. And I hope that you do. I can't wait to go dive deeper into all of your work and connect with other people, hear their stories. And thanks again for sharing yours.
1: You, Whitney, this was probably my favorite interview because we, (laughs) like you mentioned in the beginning, we didn't talk about the typical questions that I get asked. So I appreciate that because I think, you know, to really get deeper connections with people, we have to be able to get into the really messy, hard places that we may not agree with one another, or we may have completely different opinions, but we respecting each other enough as human beings to listen to someone else's journey and, and what worked for them and what is working for them. And to cheer them on. Like, I think that's how we can show love to someone is cheering them on, even if we don't completely understand or agree with what they're doing, but we want to see them the happiest and healthiest version of themselves possible. So thank you. Thank you for letting me talk about, you know, just different aspects of what this life with chronic illness is really about.
0: You're absolutely welcome.